For your heart is not right before God. You see, today, I mean, who can judge another man's heart? I mean, nobody's perfect, right? And on and on people speak without wisdom or knowledge or definitely discernment. Peter continues, therefore, repent. Hello, and welcome to this edition of That They Might Know, a podcast dedicated to proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am your host, Dr. William Mazella, and our teacher is my friend and brother in the Lord, Joe Durso. After enjoying this discussion of God's Word, if you are seeking discipleship or biblical counseling, please email us. Now for today's message. Dear Heavenly Father, may this message, may this teaching be for your honor and your glory. I ask, dear Lord, that there would be no, nothing that would be man-centered or for our glory or for our benefit. May this be strictly for you, Lord. May no words come out of my mouth would bring you displeasure. May every word that meant to come out of my mouth, that I would speak it boldly, and I would share these things, Lord, to whoever may hear, and that I would share them in the truth and for the truth's sake. I ask these things for your honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is actually episode 76 in the podcast, and I've entitled it New Testament Preaching. And you know, we look out at the evangelical culture, church culture in America, and you know, we really find our beginning of really a Christianity that actually changed somewhat the direction of our nation and the climate, uh, the moral climate in our nation. It just moved it in a, in a direction more towards Almighty God from about uh, 1740, somewhere in there, to the 1770s. George Whitfield and John Wesley and those men in England began the the actually the, the great awakening began there. They didn't begin anything. God did. As it always starts with prayer that God motivates and with evangelism that God fills with his holy spirit, much like on the day of Pentecost and and the decades following that fateful day that changed Jerusalem and put a foundation to the church, you know, so many decades, so many centuries later in England and Europe and America when the Great Awakening hit there, those places. And uh, with George Whitfield making, gee, I don't remember what it was now, was it 11 trips or something to America back and forth and went on ships, that was one rough, long ride. But he did it and he preached here and he started an orphanage, and he did a lot of good work, but his main good work was evangelism. And he touched the heart, or God touched the heart of so many people through him and so many other faithful uh, evangelists like Jonathan Edwards and, and men. And really, it comes down to Jonathan Edwards, what I want to talk about for a few minutes, because Jonathan Edwards uh, lit a fire, as did the, the lightning rod of the Great Awakening, George Whitfield. And in Enfield, Connecticut, when Jonathan Edwards preached the message, sinners in the hands of an angry God. And I'm not going to talk about it, except it, it's an inspiring, uh, fearful sermon to listen to for sure. And it, it was written down and it was understood in America for many, many years after that and filled the hearts of many people. And there's always been a cooling off and, and then an awakening and we've had other evangelists since then but nothing like during the time of the great awakening and that sermon that sermon I mean it touched so many churches and so many people and was written out and people would read it and, and he repeated it he preached it to his church which was much more dead than the one they went to the second time where they found actual fingernail marks in the pews where he preached it 
for, for the fear that grabbed the hearts of the people who heard it. And when you listen to it, if you read it and you go online, you understand, which it's not the same as being there and when the Holy Spirit is being poured out, but even just to read the words and understand it was a God-manufactured sermon to touch the hearts of people. Now, in 1960, many, many years later, two centuries later, or thereabouts a little more, and you, you come across the movie Pollyanna, where lines from that message are used. And you have Carl Malden going up into the pulpit, which is like 13 steps high, and he's like up by the ceiling. And it's all manufactured, you know, basically to ridicule Jonathan Edwards and that sermon. And so he preaches it harsh, and the people are making all kinds of looks on their face of horror or bewilderment or you know, it's cringing or kids playing, and it's all just manufactured, you know, to show just how stupid the preacher was. And when it's all over, they leave the church, just the gas, and, you know, most of them, sorry they went to church type of an attitude. And one man walks up to a horse, and the horse, horse whinnies and goes, you know, and a man looks at the horse and goes, exactly. You know, it's all just mockery, basically, of that type of sermon. And as the movie progresses, the, you know, the preacher is just, you know, sorry for really becoming a preacher, and he meets Pollyanna, and Pollyanna talks about her dad, and her dad was sorry about that, and the same type of thing, not being able to touch people, and they don't listen. And, and then, the, you know, Carl Molden asks Pollyanna, you know, well, what did he do about it? And anything happened? And you know, he just uh, she talked about her dad, and he had a lot. She has a locket around her neck, and you know, the statement from Abraham Lincoln. You know, if you look for the worst in people, you'll usually find it. And wow, that's you know, it just hit him. And and then you know, she leaves, and he's just in the field, you know, hunched over in tears and recognizing, oh my goodness, what have I done? Uh, and you know, her telling him that there's like 800 joyful psalms, joyful scriptures in the Bible, and, you know, why not focus on them? And he, he feels like a, a total failure. And then the next time you see him, he's in church, and he's apologizing for the wickedness of his heart, and, and, and he's sorry, and he's going to be focusing on all the good stuff from now on. You know, and that was the beginning of the end. Well, actually, it was started before that. But the real beginning of the end for the church in America and the church has turned into something which is less than gospel. And I'm talking about in, in, in a lot of churches. Now there's horrible churches, there's not so horrible churches, and there's e- e- almost, almost good churches. And, uh, and then there's, you know, that which is, touches so many. You can decide, as I proceed through uh, numerous, numerous verses throughout the Bible and passages and paragraphs and chapters. And as I read through these things with, uh, with short comments on them, you decide for yourself where the church is today, where the gospel is, where preaching is today. Then go on uh, your, your computer, locate sinners in the hands of an angry God, Read some sermons by Charles Spurgeon or by Jonathan Edwards. Listen to them as they've been recorded, as men read them. And, and, and see if you find a difference between what's preached today and what's been preached in times past. And now everything needs to be upbeat. You need to be edifying people. You don't, you're not supposed to tear people down. You're not say anything to hurt anyone's feelings, and which we should understand that is the culture in which we live. The only problem is God doesn't go according to the culture. The Bible is not consistent with the culture. In fact, we have been baptized anew, those of us who claim Christianity and who actually are really Christians. We're put to death to this world. We're pilgrims. We're sojourning in a world where we don't belong, and we seek another country, one that's not of this world one that's of another world. That's why people give their lives. That's why in Mozambique, 70 villages attacked by 
radicals who killed anyone who said there's a Christian, cut their heads off and tortured the pastors. Because we don't belong to this world, because we belong to Christ. So as we go forward and as we look at these verses, just remember what I've been talking about and test the waters and see if we're preaching the gospel today. First scripture, I'm going to read from Mark chapter 1, verses 4 to 6. And I quote, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea was going out to him, and all the people of Jerusalem, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, when you turn the TV on a Sunday morning and you see people talking about the goodness of God and the love of God and how he wants the best for us, and it looks like we're taking our lives as they are and then adding Jesus to it, making it better, making it more full. That's not what John the Baptist came preaching. John the Baptist came preaching a baptism of repentance where a person turns from their own life which is what uh, repentance means, and they start to live a new life. Why? Because it's about the forgiveness of sins and turning from those sins by the power of God, which is what the resurrection is about. Confessing sin in order to turn from it. Mark 1, 14 through 15 says, Now after John was taken into custody... Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, quote, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel or good news. Repent and believe the gospel. So the gospel is set forth by John the Baptist, the one who's paving the way for the Messiah, and the Messiah himself both Proclaim, repent, and believe. Turn from your wicked ways. Peter on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, verses 22 to 24, and then verse 36, and I quote, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God, with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, that God knew because God planned what was going to happen, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him from the dead, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know, for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what are we to do? Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now these men who were preached to, I mean they were present. He's talking to people who were there to see the miracles and the wonders that Jesus went around doing for three years. Many of them may have very well been there at the crucifixion of Christ. They saw miracles and wonders and then they saw him nailed to a cross and then there's all this talk about risen from the dead. Where's the body? It's stolen or it's gone. It's not there anymore. Couldn't find it. But the fact is, the message remains the same on the day of Pentecost. It's repent and be made and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then you'll receive the gift, the gift of eternal life through the Holy Spirit. Peter's second sermon, Acts chapter 3 and 4, I'm going to read 3, 17 to 23, and then 4, 1, 2, 4, 11 through 13. And then, quote, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, just as your rulers also did. But the things which God previously announced by the mouths of all the prophets 
that his Christ would suffer, he has fulfilled in this way. Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus, the Christ, appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things, about which Christ spoke by the mouths of his holy prophets from ancient times. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet, like me, from your countrymen. To him you shall listen. Regarding everything he says to you, and it shall be that every soul that does not listen to that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. So as Peter's preaching, he's just preaching from the Old Testament. He's doing what I'm doing right now. He's just quoting scripture. And as he does so, he's pointing to Jesus Christ. And he's pointing to one who's prophesied about throughout the Old Testament, to which the people were very much aware, again, of the, li- the life he lived and the message he proclaimed and the miracles which just spoke to the fact that he was not a mere man. He was Almighty God. And in verse chapter 4 and verse 1, and I quote, and, they, and as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Now this is not foreign to Old Testament scripture. Not at all. It's not just Isaiah 53. It's many passages speaking to the person who's going to come, the Messiah, and he's going to speak to you. He's going to be a light to the Gentiles, on and on. It's all throughout. But many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. When God works, when God desires to redeem people. He does it. And in this case, who knows? Might have been 20,000 people there if you want to count women and children. It's just counting the men. And the men numbered to 5,000. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, once again, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, not pulling any punches whatsoever but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. Salvation. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among mankind by which we must be saved. Now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. End quote. These were godly men, the apostles now, having undergone a fiery test at the cross, having been broken from their pride and their competition with one another, and had come to realize where the glory should be, and that's in the person of Jesus Christ. But the message is always one of sin and death. And only through that comes resurrection. It's not about this life. It's not about adding on to this life and being blessed in this life. It's not about that. How can it be about that when they're always talking about a resurrection? That's a resurrection from the dead. That's, that's an end to this life. And having one's soul secured by eternity. Stephen preaching in Acts 6 and, and so forth, we, we read these words. Quote, instead, brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom you may put in charge of this task. And this is about being a deacon or a servant. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The announcement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. This is a servant man servant who is full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And from Cilicia and Asia rose up and argued with Stephen, but they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit by whom 
he was speaking. Then they secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. Now this isn't an apostle. This isn't a pastor. This isn't a big name celebrity. This is a regular person at the time of the of the of the the awakening that took place at Pentecost. This is just a regular guy, which is what the church was made of back then, and those regular guys were not regular guys, not ordinary. They may have come from an ordinary, meager beginning, but that is not how they finished once God got done with them. So then it goes on, and we know the sermon from, from Stephen. You men, I quote, who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears and are always resisting the Holy Spirit. That's a, there's the tone in Stephen's word. He's straightforward. He understands what they have on their minds and their hearts. He doesn't turn from it for a moment. And then he goes on, You are doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one. And you have now become betrayers and murderers of him. You who receive the laws ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. Now when they heard this, they were infuriated. And they began gnashing their teeth at him. But he, again, being full of the Holy Spirit. This is a man who may not be saying the most pleasant things. They're not the happy words. But he's speaking as he is filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. I mean, he's just speaking what he sees. But they shouted with a loud voices and covered their ears and rushed at him with one mind. That mind was evil. Now, He's put to death, he's stoned, he's killed, he's martyred. He's the first martyr. James would be martyred after him with the sword. These men are standing against the tide of this world. They're preaching a message of repentance, a message of sinners that need a savior. They're preaching the resurrection from the dead. They're not mincing words. They're not caring about people's feelings necessarily. They are caring deeply about their souls. Acts chapter 8, 18 through 24. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. This is Simon, who is basically a magician. He was uh, uh, some type of fake guy who did things that people would marvel at and say, this is a great man. And he did it for money, and he made a lot of money. Verse 19 saying, Give this authority to me as well, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Now this is a time when men like Peter had grew up again at the cross of Christ and was given a spirit of discernment and understanding. And he wasn't just faked out by, by false people. He, he watched Judas He saw Judas not having understood who he was at all until the very end when it was too late. But the fact is, he was past that now. He would listen to people's words. He would watch people and how they act. And his his spirit was discerning. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could acquire the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this matter, no portion, no no piece of the pie, so to speak. For your heart is not right before God. You see, today, I mean, who can judge another man's heart? I mean, nobody's perfect, right? And on and on people speak without wisdom or knowledge or definitely discernment. Peter continues, therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible, The intention of your heart will be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the goal of bitterness 
and in the bondage of unrighteousness. Now, Peter's laying something out here, and this is distinguishing between true prophets of God and false prophets, and he's laying out Simon in a very distinct, very clear way, and he's stating where he already is. For I see that you are in the goal of bitterness and in the bondage, the slavery of unrighteousness. Now listen to Simon's response. But, there's a but in there. But, Simon answered and and said, Pray to the Lord for me yourselves, so that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Simon, hello, it's already come upon you. And he's putting the prayers, not as his obligation or need, because he doesn't, still doesn't see he needs one. You pray for me yourselves, that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Uh, how many people are like that today? Now, he, you know, Peter did say, therefore repent of this wickedness of yours. He was already in wickedness. And pray to the Lord that if possible, the attention of your heart will be forgiven you. That's not on Simon's mind. I I say these things because as we're going through the message preached, it's about forgiveness. Prior to this, we read that Simon believed. Well, believe is not a simple word in the New Testament. It has deep meaning. And the roots of that meaning uh, are only, they're only seen as honest and sincere, again, through a resurrection from the dead, which Simon never participated in. Now we go on to Paul's first missionary journey in Acts chapter 13, and I quote, and again he's speaking, I I have found David, the son of Jess, quoting from Old Testament scriptures, a man after my own heart, God speaking, who will do all my will. From the descendants of this man, according to promise, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus. After John had proclaimed before his coming, a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. A baptism of repentance. Dying and being raised again. Therefore, let it be known to you, brothers, and through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Forgiveness of sins of which we all take a part. And through him everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. Big point he's making. The law saves no one. Therefore, see that the thing spoken of in the prophets does not come upon you. Now, are you hearing messages like this today? Maybe you are, and if you are, praise God. Don't turn a message, if it's not like this, into this message by reading into the message something that's not there. If it is, praise God. If it's not, don't tamper with it. Hear what's being said. Now, Paul turned to the Gentiles in Acts 13, beginning in 47, says, I have appointed you as a light to the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. Quoting, again, from the Old Testament, when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And hear this, and all who had been appointed to eternal life believed. You hear that Calvinistic tone right there? All who had been appointed to eternal life believed. Why do people believe? Because they had been appointed to. That's what you call grace. When God saves someone by grace, it's not on their own. It's not coming from themselves. It's coming from God. Paul and a woman proclaiming the Most High God by demons. Paul sees this woman for what she is. Again, I'm emphasizing here the message preached and then the discernment that men of God had, these apostles and others, uh, 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 and responding to them in, in the right way. Beginning at verse 16, quote, it happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave woman who had a spirit of divination met us who was bringing great profit to her masters by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us and cried out repeatedly, saying, quote, These men 
are slaves of the Most High God and are proclaiming to you a way of salvation. Now, what did she say that was wrong? People will look, oh, these men are so good. And they preach from the Bible every week. And I hear them and I follow them. and It's just, it's great. Well, what this woman just said was absolutely true. She didn't say anything incorrect. These men are slaves of the Most High God. I mean, read the epistles in the New Testament. A slave of Jesus Christ. And proclaiming the gospel. And she says, who are proclaiming to you a way of salvation. Now, she continued doing this for many days. But what's Paul's response to this? But Paul was greatly annoyed. Why? And he turned and said to the spirit, because see, she was doing this by a spirit of divination. We're told that. But you wouldn't know that just by listening to the words. But Paul had the discernment to understand the difference and said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. Now, he was an apostle. Don't try to do this yourself. You can pray and you can fast, and the Spirit may come out through prayer and fasting um, through the Holy Spirit, through Almighty God, through Jesus Christ. Those things can happen. Just don't turn yourself into an apostle in, in the meantime. And it came out that very moment. Paul and Silas and <clears throat> dragged, I'm sorry, and it came out of her that very moment. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was suddenly gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. It's about money. And they were not happy with them. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, these men, Jews as they are, are causing our city trouble. And they are proclaiming customs that are not lawful for us to accept or to practice since we are Romans. They're just full of baloney. You know what I'm saying? This is about money. But the point is, do we have a discerning spirit to understand the difference between a true and a false prophet today? I'm speaking to evangelical churches. The world, they don't, they don't know their left hand from their right. But I'm speaking to the church. Thessalonica, Acts 17, 2-3, quote, from the scriptures explaining and giving evidence that the Christ, this is Paul, had to suffer and rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus, whom I am proclaiming to you, is the Christ. That's what he's proclaiming. He's proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah to the Bereans. Now these people were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. What made them more noble? They sought the scriptures. And you know, when you seek the scriptures, make no mistake about it, this is where wisdom begins. This is where men of God begin to receive and have a discerning spirit. Just read Hebrews chapter 5. And down you get towards the end, and because people don't live out their Christianity, they don't act on it. They don't live an overcoming life to identification with Christ, seeing that in Romans 5 and 6 and 7 and 8, seeing what, a, what the Holy Spirit-filled life really is, seeing the need of death and resurrection from the dead. Paul on Mars Hill He's preaching in Acts 17, and this is uh, where you can read, and I quote, The God who made the world and everything that is in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made by hands. He's preaching to Gentile people. Let's, let's understand idolatry here. He goes on in verse 25, Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. And he made from one man. Okay, that's the end of all the nations and all the colors and, and, and all the diversity that we have, which started at Babel and wasn't really meant to be in God's first design. But he, he had a reason and a plan for this, to divide people and to stop them from what they were doing at Babel and they wanted to overcome God, which was ridiculous. But he made from one man, every nation of mankind, to live on all the face of the earth. All the families all go back to Adam. 
We're just one people, and in Adam we're all born into sin, and we all sin as a result of it by our own willful choices in bondage, in slavery, to sin. And we live and move and exist in him. And even some of you, your own poets have said, what, that we, in him, we live and move and have our existence. God is now proclaiming to mankind that all people everywhere, listen, are to repent. That's the message. It never changes. All through the New Testament, everywhere are to repent. Because he has set a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all people by raising him from the dead. And that's Jesus Christ. So whether they're living or dead, all men will stand before God one day. The Church of Corinth in Acts 18. And the Lord said to Paul by a vision at night, Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many people in this city. And he settled there for a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. So God was giving him peace. I mean, you're talking about a man who received more stripes, more lashings, beaten, stoned. I mean, even even unto death one time. I mean, just this is a man who just took it and took it and took it. And God wanted to say to him right here, okay. You know, you can relax a little bit. Now, what goes on next is this. I want us to give some serious thought to, and I don't know who am I listening to this message, but the kind of preaching that you've heard. This, isn't pre- this, is, this message is not about looking at people in order to say, this guy is a great orator or not. This man really knows his Bible. I'm not, I'm, we're not talking about any of that. What we're doing is discerning in our spirit through the Holy Spirit, should be, and by a clear understanding of the word. First of all, what what the gospel message is, and how that gospel message is coming out, and what it's saying. Are we talking about the resurrection from the dead? Are we talking about newness of life? Are we talking about repenting of sin? Are we getting into the nitty-gritty of what sin is, and how it distorts the image of God, and how it it, it disguises itself and at the same time turns us into something that's less than godly and quite frankly at times miserable and wicked. You know, are we living in Matthew 18 where we're really seeking to call sin and sin, call each other up on what we see, ourselves being conscious of sin that's in our lives and when we miss it, willing to have our brothers talk to us and bring it to light? in order that we can live godly in a perverse generation, which we're called to do, by the way, to save ourselves from this perverse generation, as we find in other portions of Scripture. So what kind of preaching do we look at? We're going to look at two passages, one from Galatians and one from Philippi, and we're going to see really basically three different types of, of preaching that goes on. So in Galatians chapter 1, Paul is writing to the Galatians, and this is what he says, quote, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. Paul's really wondering about these people. I mean, are these people really in the kingdom? I mean, they're just, they're bringing themselves under the law. They're returning to bondage. Just read through the rest of the, the passage in Galatia. And here he says, a different gospel, which is not just another account, but there are some who are disturbing you who want to distort the gospel of Christ. So not, it's not a different gospel. Why? Because there's only one gospel. If you distort the gospel, then you don't have the gospel anymore. And then he goes on in verse 8 and says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. Verse 9, as we have said before, even now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. Now look, why would he say that twice? Two verses 
back to back. Because when he gets to the end of verse 8 and says he is to be accursed, people are going, what did he just say? So he's got to repeat himself. He knows that's what they're going to do. I mean, Paul is bringing down a curse. That's not what we do in the Old and the New Testament. Maybe in the Old, but not now. And of course, they didn't have the New Testament then. And they're looking at the Old Testament. They go, wait a minute. Jesus Christ came for the forgiveness of sins. We're cursing people? But it, he says, and we, we have said before, as we have said before, and even now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed, anathema. Something which was dedicated to be offered to God is now incapable of being offered, is incapable of redemption, can't be redeemed, cursed. And Paul says this, and he says it about people who are preaching a distorted, a distorted gospel. These are wandering stars, as Jude and Peter give these pictures of clouds without water. They're just, they're destined for destruction. They're like wild beasts fitted for destruction. When you just look at Second Peter, you look at Jude, you look at the way they look at these people who understood Judas, and they understood false prophecy, and they condemned it. John the Baptist, you know, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, talking to the religious leaders. Jesus making a whip and, and forcing people, probably 50,000, out, out of the temple area because he, was, he had a zeal for his father's house. These men preached with zeal. They called sin, sin. They, they got a beating for it. They got killed for it, but they, but they meant what they said, and they live lives to match it. Now, there's two other people that are not cursed, but there's different kind of preaching. Both preaching acceptable to Paul, but they're not the same. In Philippians chapter 1, we read this. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. This is a good thing. It was harsh for Paul, but it was a good thing he's saying. So that my imprisonment, which is harsh, in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. And that most of the brothers and sisters trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. So this is all good because here he is in prison he has his opportunity to preach the gospel to the Praetorian Guard. Those are the ones that you know, guarded the Caesars. These are like top-notch guys. And here they are. Um, here is Paul actually giving greater uh, courage to the people who are looking on. Verse 15, some to be sure are preaching Christ even from envy and strife. That's interesting. But some also from goodwill. The latter the ones who were preaching from goodwill, uh, do it out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of, get this, selfish ambition rather than pure motives, thinking that they may cause me distress in my imprisonment. For some reason, they didn't like Paul, they didn't get along, and they were divided. These are preachers, contrary to Paul the Apostle, who are dividing the early church. Now Paul says this, to be perfectly clear what the scripture is saying, what then only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Now what's he rejoicing about? He's rejoicing about that the, pro the gospel is being proclaimed, the, the true gospel, not a distorted gospel. They're preaching repentance, they're preaching the resurrection from the dead, they're preaching sin. They're preaching these the gospel. And in the midst of preaching the gospel, they're doing it out of pretense. They're doing it out of selfish ambition. You see, there is a judgment coming. And from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, there are people who build with gold, silver, and precious stones. Those are the ones who are one with the Apostle Paul. They're not doing it out of selfish ambition. They're actually doing it out of love. They're preaching out of love rather than 
self-ambition, selfish ambition. You have one or the other. That's what you got. It's, it's only those two. Love or selfish ambition. And there is, are up, there is preaching. Well, he, he's preaching the gospel. Yeah, he's preaching the gospel, but you see, Paul understood it to be out of selfish ambition. How did he know that? Because of division. Did you hear what I just said? Because of division. Today, and I've said this before and I'll say it again, division, there's no place for division in the church. Where there's division, there's selfish ambition. And therefore, when men say things, ignorant things, unwise things, foolish things, like as long as we're together for the gospel, as long as we're together on the gospel main points, and that we're not dividing over secondary issues, everything's good. Well, here everything is good so far as the gospel, but yet he's still saying they're preaching out of selfish ambition. Selfish ambition is bad. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul goes on and says, look, make my joy complete. When, a, when an apostle's joy is incomplete, whether it's the Apostle Paul or John or Peter or any one of them. Look, when it's not complete, when their joy is not complete, it's for this reason. They're not of the same mind. Because he tells them, make my joy complete by being of the same mind. Philippians 2.2. 2. If you're not of the same mind, what's the reason? They're not maintaining the same love. They're not united in spirit. They're not intent on one purpose. And then he gives them on the negative side and says, do nothing from what? Selfishness or empty conceit. That's pride. If you're preaching and you're divided, you're preaching, at least in part, out of conceit, out of pride. But with humility, consider one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Get the message completely right. Be of the same mind. Stop all these divisions in the church because someone's always wrong. They're always wrong. Find out you're wrong. Confess your sins. The Christian life is continuing to notice what's wrong. Notice the sin. Confess the sin. So you can walk in the world the way you're supposed to. And stop. Stop with the divisions. So what have we just said? We're saying that there are those who do not preach the gospel. They distort the gospel so that it's no longer the gospel. And then you have those who preach out of love, but they preach the gospel. And then you have those who preach the gospel, but out of conceit and selfish ambition. Two will get to heaven. One will get there with a lot of gold. The second one will get there, but with disappointment. Instead of hearing all well done, good and faithful servant, he'll maybe hear that a little. You know, but like the person in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 did Paul handed over to the devil for the destruction of his flesh that he might be saved in the day of Jesus Christ. I mean, who wants to go to heaven that way? Well, but I'm in heaven. But you've displeased God. Did you hear that? You displeased God. We don't want to stand before Jesus. I do not want to stand before Jesus. And I'm going to see some of this happen. I don't want to see any more go up. None, no more than, 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 than I've already done. That I'm going to look at Jesus, well, you know, this is not gold. And it burns up, you lose the reward. And who cares about the reward? Who wants to see the look on Jesus' face? Who wants to see disappointment after what Jesus suffered for us? This is not how we should be entering into heaven. Look at Second Peter. Look at, look at what he says in chapter 1. Study it. Memorize it. Think about it. Meditate on it. Turn away to the right way. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the word that talks about a good gospel and an evil gospel, which is not the gospel at all. It talks about love. It talks about loving others more than we love ourselves. And these passages, they talk about the, a gospel that's not, that is a gospel, 
but it's done out of selfish ambition. It's not putting others first. It's putting ourselves first so that we speak to look good, to sound good, to have followers, to get money, to not push people out of the church by telling the truth, but keep them there and fudging on what we're saying. Lord, there's been enough of that in the last hundred years that, the, that there should be no more of it anymore in the future. I, we can't, we're not here to judge people. That, that judgment is left up to you. Discerning, yes. Knowledgeable, wise, not foolish, yes. But the, not the judging in the, as if we sit in the judgment seat of people, but caring for our brothers in Christ, caring about the Bema seat that will bring forth even great rewards that will be tossed at Jesus' feet where they belong, or lost in the smoke of disappointment. Dear Heavenly Father, grant that the church would wake up where it's slumbering and it's sleeping. Wake up to the, the last hour that is coming upon the world. Wake up to the persecution that even now has been traveling. It's traveling. It's around the world. Thousands of people dying every year because they will not deny Jesus Christ under evil governments that that allow at the least men to cut off other people's hen, heads, torture people in prison. The government's doing what's wrong. Dear Heavenly Father, grant that these things, in these things that you give your people, victory. We pray for those who are in prison as if we were in prison with them, feeling the cold and the, the ill treatment and the lack of food and a horrible situation just simply because they're Christians. We ask that all these things, Lord, that you, you meet these needs where they are. Bring them into glory, you know, in, with glory, for your honor and glory, for your pleasure. In Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. Mm -hmm.